0: Chapter Seventy of the Old Curiosity Shop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Old Curiosity Shop by Charles Dickens. Chapter Seventy Day broke, and found them still upon their way. Since leaving home, they had halted here and there for necessary refreshment. And had frequently been delayed especially in the night-time by waiting for fresh horses they had made no other stoppages but the weather continued rough and the roads were often steep and heavy it would be night again before they reached their place of destination kit all bluff and hardened with the cold went on manfully and having enough to do to keep his blood circulating to picture to himself the happy end of this adventurous journey and to look about him and be amazed at everything had little spare time for thinking of discomforts though his impatience and that of his fellow travelers rapidly increased as the day waned the hours did not stand still the short daylight of winter soon faded away and it was dark again when they had yet many miles to travel as it grew dusk the wind fell its distant moanings were more low and mournful and as it came creeping up the road, and rattling covertly among the dry brambles on either hand, it seemed like some great phantom for whom the way was narrow, whose garments rustled as it stalked along. By degrees it lulled and died away, and then it came on to snow. The flakes fell fast and thick, soon covering the ground some inches deep, and spreading abroad a solemn stillness. The rolling wheels were noiseless and the sharp ring and clatter of the horses' hooves became a dull, muffled tramp. The life of their progress seemed to be slowly hushed, and something deathlike to usurp its place. Shading his eyes from the falling snow, which froze upon their lashes and obscured his sight, Kit often tried to catch the earliest glimpse of twinkling lights, denoting their approach to some not-distant town. He could descry objects enough at such times, but none correctly now a tall church spire appeared in view which presently became a tree a barn a shadow on the ground thrown on it by their own bright lamps now there were horsemen foot passengers carriages going on before or meeting them in narrow ways which when they were close upon them turned to shadows too. a wall a ruin a sturdy gable end would rise up in the road and when they were plunging headlong at it would be the road itself. Strange turnings, too. Bridges and sheets of water appeared to start up here and there, making the way doubtful and uncertain. And yet they were on the same bare road, and these things, like the others, as they were passed, turned into dim illusions. He descended slowly from his seat, for his limbs were numbed, when they arrived at a lone posting-house and inquired how far they had to go to reach their journey's end. It was a late hour in such by-places, and the people were abed, but a voice answered from an upper window, ten miles. The ten minutes that ensued appeared an hour, but at the end of that time a shivering figure let out the horses they required, and after another brief delay they were again in motion. It was a cross-country road.' full after the first three or four miles of holes and cart-ruts which being covered by the snow were so many pitfalls to the trembling horses, and obliged them to keep a foot pace. As it was next to impossible for men so much agitated as they were by this time to sit still and move so slowly, all three got out and plodded on behind the carriage. The distance seemed interminable, and the walk was most laborious. As each was thinking within himself that the driver must have lost his way, a church-bell, close at hand, struck the hour of midnight, and the carriage stopped. It had moved softly enough, but when it ceased to crunch the snow, the silence was as startling as if some great noise had been replaced by perfect stillness. "'This is the place, gentlemen,' said the driver, dismounting from his horse, and knocking at the door of a little inn. "'Hallo!' Past twelve o'clock is the dead of night here!' The knocking was loud and long, but it failed to rouse the drowsy inmates. All continued dark and silent as before. They fell back a little, and looked up at the windows, which were mere black patches in the whitened house front. No light appeared. The house might have been deserted, or the sleepers dead, for any air of life it had about it. They spoke together, with a strange inconsistency in whispers, unwilling to disturb again the dreary echoes they had just now raised. "'Let us go on,' said the younger brother, and leave this good fellow to wake them, if he can. I cannot rest until I know that we are not too late. Let us go on in the name of heaven!' They did so, leaving the postilion to order such accommodation as the house afforded, and to renew his knocking. Kit accompanied them with a little bundle, which he had hung in the carriage when they left home, and had not forgotten since, the bird in his old cage, just as she had left him. She would be glad to see her bird, he knew. The road wound gently downward. As they proceeded, they lost sight of the church whose clock they had heard, and of the small village clustering round it. The knocking, which was now renewed, and which in that stillness they could plainly hear, troubled them they wished the man would forbear or that they had told him not to break the silence until they returned the old church tower clad in a ghostly garb of pure cold white again rose up before them and a few moments brought them close beside it a venerable building grey even in the midst of the hoary landscape an ancient sun-dial on the belfry wall was nearly hidden by the snow-drift and scarcely to be known for what it was. Time itself seemed to have grown dull and old, as if no day were ever to displace the melancholy night. A wicket gate was close at hand, but there was more than one path across the churchyard to which it led, and uncertain which to take, they came to a stand again. The village street, if street that could be called, which was an irregular cluster of poor cottages of many heights and ages, some with their fronts, some with their backs, and some with gable-ends towards the road, with here and there a sign-post or a shed encroaching on the path, was close at hand. There was a faint light in a chamber-window not far off, and Kit ran towards that house to ask their way. His first shout was answered by an old man within, who presently appeared at the casement, wrapping some garment round his throat as a protection from the cold, "'and demanded who was abroad at that unseasonable hour wanting him. "'Tis hard weather, this,' he grumbled. "'And not a night to call me up in. "'My trade is not of that kind that I need be roused from bed. "'The business on which folks want me will keep cold, especially at this season. "'What do you want?' "'I would not have roused you if I had known you were old and ill,' said Kit. "'Old?' repeated the other peevishly. How do you know I am old? Not so old as you think, friend, perhaps. As to being ill, you will find many young people in worse case than I am. More's the pity that it should be so, not that I should be strong and hearty for my years. I mean, but that they should be weak and tender. I ask your pardon, though, said the old man, if I spoke rather rough at first. My eyes are not good at night. That's neither age nor illness. They never were and I didn't see you were a stranger.' "'I am sorry to call you from your bed,' said Git, "'But those gentlemen you may see by the churchyard gate are strangers too, who have just arrived from a long journey and seek the parsonage house. You can direct us?' "'I should be able to,' answered the old man in a trembling voice. "'For come next summer I have been sexton here good fifty years. The right-hand path, friend, is the road.' "'There is no ill news for our good gentleman, I hope.' Kit thanked him and made him a hasty answer in the negative. He was turning back when his attention was caught by the voice of a child. Looking up, he saw a very little creature at the neighbouring window. "'What is that?' cried the child earnestly. "'Has my dream come true? Pray speak to me, whoever that is. Awaken up!' "'Poor boy!' said the sexton before Kit could answer. How goes it, darling? Has my dream come true? exclaimed the child again, in a voice so fervent that it might have thrilled to the heart of any listener. But no, that can never be. How could it be? Oh, how could it? I guess his meaning, said the sexton. To thy bed again, dear boy? Aye. cried the child in a burst of despair. I knew it could never be. I felt too sure of that before I asked. But all tonight, and last night too, it was the same. I never fell asleep, but that cruel dream comes back. Try to sleep again, said the old man soothingly. It will go in time. No, no, I would rather that it stayed. Cruel as it is, I would rather that it stayed rejoined the child. "'I am not afraid to have it in my sleep, but I am so sad, so very, very sad.' The old man blessed him. The child in tears replied, "'Good night,' and Kit was again alone. He hurried back, moved by what he had heard, though more by the child's manner than by anything he had said, as his meaning was hidden from him. They took the path indicated by the sexton and soon arrived before the parsonage wall, Turning round to look about them, when they had got thus far, they saw, among some ruined buildings at a distance, one single solitary light. It shone from what appeared to be an old oriel window, and being surrounded by the deep shadows of overhanging walls, sprinkled like a star. Bright and glimmering as the stars above their heads, lowly and motionless as they, it seemed to claim some kindred with the eternal lamps of heaven and to burn in fellowship with them. "'What light is that?' exclaimed the younger brother. "'It is surely,' said Mr. Garland, "'in the ruin where they live. I see no other ruin hereabouts.' "'They cannot,' returned the brother hastily, "'be waking at this late hour.' Kit interposed directly, and begged that, while they rang and waited at the gate, They would let him make his way to where this light was shining and try to ascertain if any people were about. Obtaining the permission he desired, he darted off with breathless eagerness, and still carrying the bird-cage in his hand, made straight towards the spot. It was not easy to hold that pace among the graves, and at another time he might have gone more slowly, or round by the path. Unmindful of all obstacles, however, he pressed forward without slackening his speed, and soon arrived within a few yards of the window. He approached as softly as he could, and advancing so near the wall as to brush the white and ivy with his dress, listened. There was no sound inside. The church itself was not more quiet. Touching the glass with his cheek, he listened again. No. And yet there was such a silence all around that he felt sure he could have heard even the breathing of a sleeper if there had been one there. A strange circumstance, a light in such a place at that time of night, with no one near it. A curtain was drawn across the lower portion of the window, and he could not see into the room, but there was no shadow thrown upon it from within. To have gained a footing on the wall and tried to look in from above would have been attended with some danger, certainly with some noise, and the chance of terrifying the child, if that really were her habitation. Again and again he listened, again and again the same wearisome blank. Leaving the spot with slow and cautious steps, and skirting the ruin for a few paces, he came at length to a door. He knocked. No answer. But there was a curious noise inside. It was difficult to determine what it was. It bore a resemblance to the low moaning of one in pain, but it was not that, being far too regular and constant. Now it seemed a kind of song, now a wail, seemed, that is, to his changing fancy, for the sound itself was never changed or checked. It was unlike anything he had ever heard, and in its tone there was something fearful, chilling, and unearthly. The listener's blood ran colder now than ever it had done in frost and snow, but he knocked again. There was no answer, and the sound went on without any interruption. He laid his hand softly upon the latch, and put his knee against the door. It was not secured on the inside, but yielded to the pressure, and turned upon its hinges. He saw the glimmering of a fire upon the old walls, and entered. End of chapter 70